everybody. Uh, my name is Alex Gray. I'm on staff here with Veritas, and it's really good to see everybody. We missed you last week over spring break. So welcome back. Um, I've got a fun story for you guys. You guys remember 2012, a couple years ago. Uh, well, in 2012, the world was supposed to end. December, specifically, was when the world, as we know it, was supposed to come crashing down. That's at least what Patrick Garrell, a Belgian scientist, thought, anyway. See, Garrell had been studying ancient Mayan calendars, and he had been looking at claims from ancient Egyptians, and he, he was even pulling in some predictions made by NASA about increased sun flares, and he came to the conclusion that the entire world would fall apart in 2012. Gerald's math told him that in a polar reversal, north would become south and south would become north, which would cause huge earthquakes and, and giant tidal waves and a bunch of simultaneous volcanic eruptions. The sun was gonna be blocked out for 40 years and only those who were ready for it would have a chance of surviving. So in 2005, Gerald quit his job and he started getting ready. He created a list of 11 pages of survival goods, and he started stockpiling. His plan was to move to the African mountains where the tidal waves and the volcanic dust wouldn't hit him. But Geralt, he wasn't the only one preparing. See, thousands of people across the world were getting ready. They were building concrete bunkers and reinforcing caves to live in. Websites had countdowns, and they encouraged people to be smart, be ready. All across the globe, there were people who were absolutely convinced that they knew what was going to happen on December 21st, 2012. Geralt was quoted saying, my predictions are so spectacular, they can't possibly be wrong. But they were, right? It's 2019, and north is still north, the sun is still shining, and you and I, we don't live in caves, right? We're living our life just the way we always have, and we think that guys like Patrick Garrell seem a tad crazy, right? Like, who does that? Who quits their job and moves across the world and does nothing but get ready for the apocalypse? That's crazy. Well, okay, maybe Garrell was a little crazy. He was definitely wrong about the end of the world. But I gotta be honest, I think he was on the right track in one regard. See, because of what he believed about the end, he changed his life in preparation for what was to come. Because of what he believed about the very end, he changed his entire life to get ready for what was to come. See, if you've been at Veritas lately, you know that we're going through 1 Peter, which was written by Peter to a group of Christians who knew what the end looked like. And tonight, what we'll find is that Peter is telling them and us that because they and we know what the end looks like, they slash we need to be getting ready now. This doesn't mean that Peter is telling anyone to go stockpile and run for a cave, okay? So I'm not here tonight advocating for anybody to build a bunker in their East Campus backyard, okay? That's, trust me, that's not what I'm here for. But I do think that the passage we're about to read argues that what we know about the end should change how we're living now. So let's jump in. 
We're going to be looking at 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11, which say, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use your gifts that you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So there's a lot here, but what I want to do for a bit is camp out on those first seven words. The end of all things is near. And with our time tonight, answer three questions. So one, what does the phrase, the end of all things, mean? Two, is it really near? Three, what does it look like to be ready for it? So quickly again, that's one, what does the phrase, the end of all things, mean? Two, is it really near? And three, what does it look like to be ready for it? So first, what the heck does this phrase mean? Because it can sort of sound like Geralt's apocalypse stuff, right? The end is near. The world is over. Go find a cave. But that's fortunately not what Peter is communicating. See, the end of all things here in Scripture refers to when Jesus comes back. After Jesus' death and resurrection... He ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. The Bible teaches us, though, that Jesus will someday return from heaven to earth once again. While obviously we don't have time to do a run-through of the entire New Testament, if we did, what we'd see is that Jesus' return is promised literally all over. It's mentioned in different ways over 300 times, about one in every 25-ish 25-ish verses make some sort of reference to it. For example, in the Gospels, we read about Jesus giving his disciples a description of what his return, also called his second coming, would look like. So speaking about himself, he says in Matthew 24, 30 and 31, they will see the Son of Man, time out, that Son of Man title is just a really common way that Jesus refers to himself. So, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. Jesus talks about his own return a lot, but so do other New Testament writers. They talk about his return too. The author of Hebrews, for instance, he makes it clear that Jesus is going to come back when he writes in chapter 9, verse 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with the sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This kind of language is all over scripture, and it guarantees that even though Jesus is not physically here right now, He is without a doubt going to come back someday. Now, there's a sobering reality to this, which is that when Jesus comes back, he brings with him a day of judgment. And so on that day, those who don't believe in him, they're going to face punishment. And that's not something we should take lightly. 
It should force us to know what we believe and where we stand. Because on that day, those who don't believe, they will be judged. But for those of us who put our faith in Jesus, the good news is that when he returns, he's going to bring an end to sin, all of it, and he's going to dwell with us here forever. We get a picture of what that's going to look like in Revelation 21. Verses 3 through 5 say, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said also, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What this tells us is that when Jesus returns, he's going to dwell with us as our God. His actual presence will be with us. God himself will live with us. So in a very real way, he will be here on this earth physically to dwell with us forever. And with his coming, the effect of sin on the world will finally end. Jesus is going to take away mourning and pain and death. And on a grand scale, he's going to heal the world. He's going to take away all evil and get rid of any sign of sin that we've ever seen. So that phrase, the end of all things, it doesn't mean that all things are destroyed. It means that all things are made new. When he returns, Jesus will restore each and every part of creation back to God's good intent for the world. And that's going to last for the rest of forever. So just think about what that will be like. Actually stop for a minute and imagine that. Imagine dwelling with God in the world where everything around you is as he planned it to be. Everything functions the way it should. Every relationship works the way it should. Every part of your body and your mind and your emotions are healthy and whole and at peace. Every way that sin has touched any aspect of your life will be gone. Feelings of betrayal from someone you love, gone. Chronic sickness or pain in your body, gone. Guilt you have about things that you've done, gone. Any fear or anxiety about the future, gone. Money issues, gone. Disappointment, failure, sadness, anger, it's all gone. When Jesus returns, which he will, everything will be restored. It'll all be put right, and he will live with us here on earth forever. That's the definition of the end of all things. And so I don't know about you, but that sounds amazing. That sounds like really good news. I want that to come soon. Do you? Do you think that sounds like good news? Do you want Jesus to come back soon? It's a valid question because if we say that we hope he comes back soon, then the next question we have to ask is, is it near? Is the end of all things really near like Peter tells us in verse 7? That's the second big question we want to answer tonight. If Jesus' return, if it's definitely coming, is it really near? 
Well, when we look in the New Testament, Jesus himself told his followers that it could come at any time. Look at what he tells his disciples in the Gospel of Mark about the timing of his return. In chapter 13, verse 32, he says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. In the same conversation in Matthew, 24:44 records Jesus telling them that because the timing will be a surprise, therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus is saying that he could return at any time, that the hour and day are unknown, even to him. And I know that might sound strange to us, that Jesus, who is God, who knows all things, doesn't know when he'll come back. But the Bible teaches that God is both fully God, Jesus is both fully God and also fully human. And so this is just, it's an example of his humanness. Just like you and I, we don't know everything about the future, Jesus also had limitations as a human, and so he doesn't know when the end of all things is gonna come. I get that kind of feels goofy to us, but it's part of the mystery of, of Jesus's nature. So Jesus says, that only the Father knows the timing of when Jesus will come back. But even though they can't expect to know the hour and the day of his return, Jesus tells his disciples that they shouldn't be caught off guard, that, that they should be ready. So the early Christians, they waited eagerly. They lived every day ready. Fast forward 2,000-ish years to us sitting in this auditorium on a Tuesday night in April. We read these same words that Peter wrote, but they don't have the same feeling of eagerness and, and readiness that the disciples and the early Christians did when we read them. We honestly, we don't think about Jesus' return or his coming back all that often. Why is that? Well, I think it's maybe because we might have a narrow understanding of the term near in scripture. We think of near as soon or close in time, which it very well could be. But I think we have to understand near also as meaning the stage being set, everything being in place. That may not make a ton of sense immediately, so let me explain with an analogy. Think of how a, a play or a musical works. Certain plot points have to happen. Events have to come together. Everything sort of builds and culminates so that there comes a moment where everything is set for the, for the climax of the final act. Everything that's needed to happen has happened, and now all the pieces are in place for the big finale. For example, everybody knows Hamilton, right? If you haven't seen it, you've heard of it. And if you haven't heard of it, I guess you live under a rock, but Hamilton is a musical based off the true events of American history. So the, the first act, it lays out the process of America breaking away from Great Britain. So we see the Revolutionary War and the presidency of George Washington and the rising of this prominent figure, Alexander Hamilton. And as Alex tells me, I have to say, and he's not throwing away his shot. In the second act, history continues to move forward. So we see the formation of government, and we see the writing of important documents, like our Constitution, and all the while, tension builds. 
Things come together. These events culminate until we see everything is in place for the final scene, the duel. When the big finale comes, everything that's needed to happen has happened to get us to the point where Alexander Hamilton and Andrew Burr, sir, are faced off in the duel, and what happens? Hamilton dies. It's not a spoiler, people. It's history, so it's your fault. If you don't know, <laughs> I'm clear. But when we look at the biblical drama, we see the same culmination. The same buildup has happened. At this point in the story, where we are right now, all the events of Jesus' ministry and death and resurrection have been accomplished. The sin of the world has been paid for, and everything that has needed to happen has happened for Jesus to come back. So now, today, the pieces are in place. The stage is set for the final act. And that is how we should think of the end being near. Everything is ready for the finale, Jesus' return. Everything is in place for him to come back. The, the Bible calls this point in the story the last days, which started when the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples and will end on the day that Jesus returns. So in Acts 2, 17 through 20, it talks about this phase, saying that in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And after the Holy Spirit is poured out, these verses talk about what life will be like before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. So we're in the last days. We have the Holy Spirit with us, and we're waiting for the magnificent day that our Lord Jesus Christ comes back. See, the end of all things is near because all the pieces are in place, and the stage is set for the final act, which means it could actually happen at any time. Any time. Now, look, I get that this is not the way most of us think. The end of all things, the concept that Jesus could literally come back any day, it's hard to think about. We have tons of reasons why we choose to not think about this very often. Some of us, we just don't understand how it could be true. You know, we think we have too many questions about it, and the Bible has too few details about it for it really to make sense, and, and so we just don't buy into it. Some of us feel too busy to give it much thought at all. We have too many other things in our day to care about, too many things to get done, to think about this abstract idea of something that honestly may or may not even happen while we're alive. So who's got time to care, you know? Other, others of us, we fear it. We're terrified of the thought of Jesus coming back because we don't know what that day means for us or means for people that we love. Then there are those of us here who don't actually want it. We love our life too much here to be convinced that his return is gonna be better. So we want this. We'd rather keep enjoying this life than think about the one to come. I'm sure others of you have other reasons, but whatever it is, it's keeping us from truly facing the reality that scripture teaches. I get it. I really do. You are not alone if you're feeling these things. But I think it's worth listening to what scripture says about Jesus coming back. 
if scripture is true, and it says that this could happen at any time, that everything is ready, shouldn't we be ready too? This leads us to our third question. If the end of all things is near, what does it look like to be ready? If we know what the end is going to look like, how does that change how we should live right now? Well, let's go back to our original passage in 1 Peter and see what he tells his readers to do to be ready for the return of Jesus. Look at verses 7 through 11, and notice that right after Peter tells us that the end of all things is near, he says, therefore. That word therefore is essentially saying, hey, Jesus is coming back, here's what to do. And then what does he mention? First he says, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Prayer is foundational for being ready because prayer teaches us to long for the return of Jesus. Prayer is where we get time with him and where we learn to love him more. Prayer changes our hearts to want him to dwell with us and want him to come back to end sin in the world. So what does prayer look like in your life? Do you rarely pray or do you regularly, frequently talk with God? Do you tend to pray for the same things every time? Or do you pray for lots of things? Things that you're thankful for, things that you want or need, things that you're worried about, things you need to confess, things you want to grow in. Do you pray for people besides yourself? Like, like your family and your friends, your campus, people across the country, around the world, people that you would consider enemies? See, God is calling us to bring all of our thoughts and emotions to him in prayer. He wants to deepen our relationship with him because the more we talk to him, the more we'll desire to be with him. The more we share with him, the more we'll want him here on earth with us. And so the more and more, so more and more, we'll long for Jesus to return if we're committed to prayer. So, Peter tells us to pray, but second, he tells us in verse 8 and 9 that we should love each other deeply, specifically with hospitality. Hospitality, by nature, it has this connotation of invitation, you know, bringing people in, whether that's into your house or into your friend group or just your life in general. So when Peter tells us to love each other deeply with hospitality, he's telling us to bring people into our lives to show them the love of Jesus. And by seeing that love and by the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says that others will come to believe in him too. So who in your day can you invite into your life with hospitable love? Who around you can you extend an invitation to? Could be an invitation to grab dinner, to hang out at your house or your apartment, to just go run errands with you, to study for a test together, to come with you to small group or veritas or church to share life with you in really any way, big or small. Who do you interact with that you could model Jesus' love to? Whether it's in your dorm, your psych class, your sorority or fraternity house, your job, your rec team, literally anywhere that you share with people. Who could you bring into your life in a way where you start sharing your beliefs 
and you start talking about who Jesus is. I know that isn't always easy, but I challenge you to think about it. Maybe write down a couple names somewhere that's going to remind you in the coming weeks to invite people into your life and to show them who Jesus is and what his love looks like. When we do, it draws people in to know Jesus and join us in living for his return. So Peter tells us to pray and love hospitably. And now finally in verses 10 and 11, he says we should use whatever gifts we've received to serve others. When other people see us serving, they'll see what it's going to look like when Jesus returns. Serving is a small picture of what the restored earth is going to look like, and that's attractive to people. It points people to God when we serve. So how and where can you be serving? See, God has given each of us unique gifts, whether we believe it or not, and it's for the purpose of serving others. Some of you are really awesome at teaching. Some of you have musical talent. Some of you have this gift of empathy and encouragement for others. Maybe you're great at leading teams or you're extremely generous with your money. Maybe you're really artistic or super good with numbers, neither of which describe me. But whatever your particular gifts are, you've received them from God to serve the people around you. You really have. So take some time. Do some self-reflecting. Not always easy for us, but do some self-reflecting on the things God has gifted you with. Figure out where you can use those things to point people to Jesus. Decide how you're going to use your talents and your gifts and your time to serve and bless others and then actually go do it. Because when we serve others with the strength that God provides, we show people in small ways what will be true of the entire world when Jesus comes back. Peter's point in all these verses is that if the end of all things is really near, that should affect the way we live right now. If we know what the end looks like, we should change our lives to be ready for what's coming. Do our lives look like that? Are we committed to prayer, to deep love, and to serving others? And if not, are we willing to change? This passage tonight, it tells us that Jesus, he's going to return someday, so we need to be willing to change our entire life to be ready for that, if we believe it. We need to be ready for that day whenever it comes. And so while the music team comes on back, I want to reread the last verse of this passage one more time. Peter ends by reminding us that the ultimate goal is that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. All the questions that we've answered tonight, all the things that Peter is telling us to do, it all points to one thing, the glory of God. When Jesus comes back, everyone will see the full extent of his power and his glory. The Bible says on that day he will end sin and death so that it never shows itself again. In its place, he's going to put goodness and life, and we will dwell with him forever. There will be no end to our days with him. 
and our greatest joy, the fulfillment of our souls is gonna be to praise him for who he is and what he's done. When Jesus restores all things, everything that we do will be out of a desire to glorify his name. All of creation is gonna sing his praise and worship him. So friends, the end of all things is near. We know the end of the story. So let's live with that end in mind. Let's pray for his glorious return and point others to his majesty with our love and our serving. Let's live life now in readiness for what's to come. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.